you want to start with the Knicks? You're, we can start with the Knicks. Yeah, you're 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 a Knicks fan, right? I remember that. I'm correctly. not a Knicks fan. You're not a Knicks fan. Oh my goodness. No, I'm not. I was. <laughs> so you know, in, in the '90s, when I was like becoming like a hoops fanatic, obviously it was Jordan time. So I was obviously more drawn to the Jordan thing, and like excellence. And I tell people all the time, it's like I wasn't really inspired by Derek Harper and Greg Anthony. You feel me? <laughs> like. <laughs> The Hooper, uh, the Hooper that I admired, obviously, like a lot of people, was Mike. So I never became a Knicks fan. Like I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them when they win because so many people in my family, or so many people in my life are Knicks fans. Um, so I'm always happy about that. But like, nah, I, I don't, I don't root for them. Like I don't lose sleep when they are horrible, which is often. <laughs> well, let's let, uh, I, I guess let's let, let's go live and uh, and and uh, I'll intro the show now. Uh, th- thanks for joining us, folks. This is uh, Calling Shots. I'm Seth Partnow from the Athletic uh, and uh, Mid Range Theory. I am joined today by uh, my friend Big Waz Wazny Lambre of The Ringer. Uh, we were just talking before the show about how though he grew up in New York, he is not a Knicks fan. So let's talk bad things about the Knicks. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. First of all, th- thanks for coming on. And uh, you know, for folks who aren't aren't familiar with you, which why are you unfamiliar with them? But uh, you know, uh, I like to let the uh, the guest introduce themselves a little bit instead of me trying me stumbling over something. Well, I'm a native New Yorker now, living in Los Angeles, and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Um, where I cover the NBA, and every now and again they let me do spot duty on some of our um, pop culture properties, but my main focus is the NBA. Um, and yeah, and y'all, you know, you catch me on the Ringer NBA show every now and again. Bill has me on his podcast. Um, but yeah, that's the long and the short of it, for sure. <laughs> it was funny, you had uh, Sarah Todd over the weekend, and I had her on last week, so I feel like we're uh, we're kind of closing the circle now. Of, of I love the- it. Yeah, <laughs> so see see which combination worked best. It's probably you and her was the combination that worked. worked she's she's team. amazing. Obviously, yeah. super tapped in on the jazz and like that's a team that I like have a fascination with. You know what I mean? Like as far as like a small market team that's trying to do something and do it the right way, right? Like like the Bucks, the the freaking. The Jazz, they never really go crazy with the rebuild. You know, like, they still treat it like, all right, let's put a professional product on the floor. And, you know, and they finally got to a point. Obviously, the Bucks won the whole thing, which I'm sure made you very happy last year. Um, and, you know, the Jazz finally got to a point where, you know, they add Conley, they add Bogdanovich, they already had Rudy and Donovan in-house, Right. And it's like, all right, this is a really good team. And, like, you know, there's, like, that tension between the two the two main guys. Like, I just think they're a fascinating team. So that's why I wanted to talk to Sarah because, obviously, she's there. And then Danny Ainge is there, like, GMing but not really being there. Like, it's crazy what's going on over there. Yeah, no, we talked about that, like, like that a little. It's just a, a team that – and it, this, as a sharp contrast to the Knicks, we were going to – start talking about and then the two teams are playing right now uh, ironically enough 
but the the jazz if there's one thing you could have one word you would have used to describe them just from an organization standpoint over the last 25 years it would be stability and now right. like a bunch of stuff i mean I, you know ownership changes hands that that's kind of how it works sometimes and it's not like it's they're 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 in disarray it's just it's just different there now and you know how is that gonna how is that gonna work with the new ceo of basketball but yeah we but yeah sarah and i covered that last week and it's it, that it's doubly complicated for me because uh um justin zanuck who is the general manager i worked for for a year and i think extremely highly highly of so it's hard for me to just kind of feel like uh <laughs> I, I I almost feel like I'm I'm hopelessly biased in in evaluating that situation, but yeah. No, I hear that, and you know, again, I I was really bullish on them before the season started because I'm just like, yo, they can like this team is going to be able to freaking score on people, and obviously, when you got Rudy, you know, the defensive part is shouldn't be too hard to figure out. It's just been just an awkward season, but yeah, let's definitely get into. My New York Knicks. Your New York Knicks, the the, the team that inspired you, the the the, the Chris Herring uh, uh, revitalized '90s Knicks. Those, those those were your squads, right? No, not so much. Not at all. Um, <laughs> like, and of course, you know the style of hoop that they were playing, where it's just like this grind you into dust defense, where they fouling people, and like, games are in the '70s, and it was just like. I was not entertained by it. <laughs> hey, I I am just down the road from the University of Wisconsin. So if you want to see oh, that style God. of basketball, you just you go to go to Madison and and you will maybe the less talented version, but the the five on five continuous fouling defense is alive and well in uh, in in the Cole Center. And you know Anthony Mason and Oakley, like those guys. Especially Mason, like, he was, like, part of the New York culture, right? Like, he's hanging out with rappers, and he's got the cool haircuts and all of that. Like, they were so culturally, like, important in their time. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it's and it's so crazy, like, how potent their relevancy was because that shit is still carrying them through. Like, I can tell you as a New Yorker <laughs> that the interest in the Knicks – so far dwarfs the Nets. It, it doesn't make any sense because the Nets have been way more competent over the past 20 years. And, like, by a mile. But, like, the Knicks just engender all of this enthusiasm and freaking just devotion. It's it's crazy. It's slavish. It's cultish damn near. So, so. <laughs> how crazy these people are for that team. That actually, so you you actually touched on a topic I want to I want to talk about later. So we'll come back to it. But the uh, the the like how some teams and players have a have a relevance over and above kind of their success or their ability. Um, but we'll, we'll get back to that because that's sort of getting into almost you know the the Carmelo and now like Russell Westbrook situations. But let's but but now like the Knicks like I. I did a Knicks podcast yesterday, and I actually was 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 the kind of the glass half full person because they were they were in a they were in a bad spot, you know they they were down bad, um, and I was I was trying to tell them that you know considering where you guys were eighteen months ago, you'd have taken this like clean cap sheet, 
competent organization that has that does, is not viewed as a as a as a you know circus anymore, or at least as much of a circus, and a bunch of good young players. That's not a bad spot to be from where you were. Like it looked, it looked dire when Leon yeah. Rose took took over, but at the same time, it seems like there is the level of I don't know panic, agitation, whatever is just exorbitantly high for a team that shouldn't really have had that that high expectations coming into the season. What a, I is mean, that just about is that just about like like it's New York, so they have to be the best, or or no? I just think I think like you said, people tend to think in terms of linear growth, right? And so the Leon Rose regime comes in, and you know the team is bad; they don't have any good players. You know they they got a bunch of bad deals; they don't have any young guys to look forward to, right? And so. The situation is so dire and it's gradually getting better, right? Up to, to last year, they make a fourth seed, which again, they overachieved last year. You know, like they they were not the, the the caliber of talent type of team that should have been a fourth seed and enjoyed home court advantage. And I think we saw that when the Hawks completely freaking smoked them in the first round, right? And so I think because fans have a growth mindset and progression should always be like, all right, we go from fourth seed, that means this year we should be fighting for the two or the three seed. I think the perception based off of what they accomplished last year was that. But I I think reasonable fans will be like, look, like Julius Randle is the best player on this team. Like that's – like that that can't be the answer to you know an allegedly contender type of team right so i think that's what it is it's that they overachieved last year and people thought they were supposed to improve upon that and i don't even think they've gotten worse than last year i just think they they kind of caught a lot of people by surprise Julius Randle somehow was a great mid-range jump shooter last year when he's never done that at any other point in his career, and he's clearly not doing it this year. Um, Yeah, it just seemed like last year was unsustainable, but all of the things that you said are still true. Like, they do have a clean cap sheet. The organization is being managed in a competent way. So, like, if a superstar wants to hightail it out of somewhere – you can be like, you know what? The Knicks are in a horrible landing spot for me. They kind of got their shit together finally, which is a good thing. And again, RJ is growing and, you know, RJ is growing. <laughs> and and also, and I like topics. Please, please, like topic. please let me talk more about RJ Barrett. I haven't, I haven't talked enough about RJ. I don't, I, 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 it's sort of a running thing now because I didn't put him on my, my player tiers last summer. Um, <laughs> It's just like I, I am now the foremost RJ skeptic in the world, apparently. Um, no, but the way you said, like, no, like if you're talking about like young cores, like, you know, or like Barrett and Obi Toppin and Mitchell Robinson and now, you know, Quentin Grimes, even like, right. that's, that's, you know, that's not a, it's not a group that you say, yeah, I can work with some of that if it's, if, 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 if someone was a mind to want to, I don't know, leave a place like, Utah, not to start rumors or anything, but, <laughs> but, but I mean that you know, there's certainly speculation in the, in that direction, right? Um, 
but yeah, so it's it, but it's 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 just funny to kind of um, the level of, of agitation going through those growing pains. Um, this is something I talked about last night. Is uh, uh, and I'll rehash uh, for those who listened to the Strickland pod yesterday. But like, it's a t- it's a testament to how good a job Tibbs did last year that he's obsolete in year two for them. Like he he got he came in to like make them a real team again, and he did that. And that's but he doesn't seem like he's the guy to go further than that with them. Yeah, and. Uh... This happens, right, with the Tibbs experience. Like, he's going to come in, he's going to turn things around, but I do feel like there's a cap on how successful you can be because he just grinds at people. And, you know, and who knows? Like, he's never really gotten to coach anybody who was better than D. Rose, MVP form, or even Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, like, I don't know how he would fare with, like, a team with real expectations, right? Like, because it hasn't been the case since D. Rose torn his ACL. Like, he hasn't had to coach a team that was like, all right, this is supposed to be a team at the top of the conference. You know, sometimes it's like you wonder, like, just because it hasn't happened, is it something that he's incapable of doing? Who knows? Um, But, you know, it feels like... For them to take the next step, Tibbs would have to be one of the people that's out of there. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. You wonder that, like, a team with that kind of talent, at least in in it, it, it was probably different in in the day of those the, like those those Rose Bulls there uh, because it was you know a a more dif- uh, it was the balance between offense and defense was more towards defense. You probably could get away with with you know a grinding offense. Uh, and now you to really, you know, hit like a top five peak offense, you do have to. I think you do have to give your your players a little bit of freedom to 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 do stuff, to improvise, to to you know make plays out of randomness and off of movement. And and that uh, if any of that sounds like Tom Thibodeau, um, it doesn't. Uh, so yeah, so that, I think that's a that you know it's it's. Um, I, I think it's a combination of sort of the moment and uh, where the NBA is and also kind of his predilection towards that sort of Mike Fratello style call every set and slow down, damn it, kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, the guy he's given the most freedom to is Julius Randle, right? And And I don't want to dump on Julius Randle. Like, he's... Worked his ass off to become a guy. Like, he's a quality player. You know, it's not like he's a bum. He's not a bum. But, again, for him to be the focal point of your offense and he's the hub that you're running your offense through and he's initiating every single possession, it's just like, what are we doing here? Especially when you do have young guys like Quickly um, and even RJ. Like, I think those guys should be the ones with the ball in their hands um results let the results be what they may and, and I'm somebody who feels like that one of the hardest jobs that NBA coaches have when they have young guys particularly is like how do you straddle that line between these guys should be earning their minutes but also like they need to play in order to go through these growing pains right like so how do you straddle that line between we're letting the young guys get their reps and take their bumps but also like you don't want to reward poor play 
you know, but young guys play poorly. Right. So, you know, and you wonder if Tibbs is the guy that knows how to manage that because it is a delicate balance. It's, it's, you know, which kind of mistakes are you willing to live with? Like, right. you know, if, if you're trying to make a guy into a three-point shooter, that means, that means you have to give him permission to miss threes. Like, like you know, if it's just, you can, yeah, you can take that shot if it goes in, then you're not really actually, like, giving them permission to do that. And, and, and you know, yeah, live with some growing planes. Live with some physical mistakes. We, you can't, like, you know, inattention to game plan and, like, lack of effort and stuff like that and, like, selfishness. Like, those are mistakes you can't live with. But, like, you know, I made the wrong choice out there and I missed the shot or I missed it, like... Or I was trying to do too much and I charged. Like, okay, well, you, that's that's the enthu- that that trying to do stuff, that enthusiasm, is is are kind of the mistakes you live with. And this is you know this is a hard thing to ask of coaches because by you know by nature the people who become coaches have a little bit of a control freak or a lot of a control freak. In yes. <laughs> so so it's like, hey, everything that that everything about the way you are and why you're successful, that stop that now. So I understand that's a that's a big ask. And then, of course, you know, when you're a coach and your employment is on the line, like, we could be like, all right, like, because I know I saw you tweet about Toppin. I'm a big Toppin fan. I just love the effort level that he plays with. I just think there's, you know, there's a good player in there somewhere at some point. Um, But again, like, Tibbs is living in the right now. So it's like, I don't, like, player development is a future investment. It's an investment on, you know, for the future. And when you're a coach and you're living living and dying with each game, that kind of stuff gets in the way of player development, right? And it comes at a cost, especially when you got a guy like Tim who's like, obviously, like, most, most of these old school type of coaches, they hate playing the young guys. They like to play the guys who they know exactly what they're going to get from, right? Like, Taj Gibson is on this team because Tibbs knows exactly what he's going to provide. Sure, there's a, a, a pretty low ceiling on it, but, you know, coaches like Tibbs love the sort of certainty of that. And you wonder if that can work in concert with developing these young guys to become the players that, you know, Nick fans hope that they can be. You know that's uh, that's that's an interesting point. And and folks, if you got if you got questions in the audience for for me or Waz, raise your hand. We'll get you up here. Um, it's funny you you start at the start of that. You talked about like your continued employment, and it seems like this is something that this this kind of coach actually runs into, where you say like you know they're focused so much on the next game, but the reason why they become like not the guy for a team is, you know, it's it's the working and playing well with others part. It's like. Hey, yeah, we're gonna understand if you drop an extra game or two because you're 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 playing the young guy some. It's like okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it completely your way, then like okay, well you better win fifty five games, right. or else we're, or else we're gonna go somewhere with uh, with with someone who is is gonna like be with the plan a little bit more. Um, before hey, before we move on to, I, I think we can we can we've we've beat up on the Knicks enough. Uh, before before we move on, I guess you want to t- t- hit the Lakers the Nets next. But first, uh, Cody, who uh, is is a, a frequent uh, listener, had a had a uh, had a question. So um, see what see what uh, Cody what what you got for us? 
Yeah, I just wanted to uh, maybe bring up another team that was has had some thoughts on. It's uh, the Hawks, kind of tying into the Knicks with them trading for Cam Reddish. You know, you talk about how Tibbs is a coach who can't live with uh, some of those growing pains mistakes. Do you think that was kind of the impetus for the Hawks trading Cam? You know, because Nate couldn't really deal with that same type of behavior. I mean, it's kind of kind of, kind of similar situations. I feel. So yeah, I, I have a I have a mild obsession with this Hawks group just really love their guys. Um, and, you know, talking to some people that have an idea, is just like Cam Reddish, <clears throat> he seems to think that he's in line for a max contract someday. <laughs> and on a team like the Hawks that have a Trey Young, that have a John Collins, that have even a Kevin Herter who – plays your position that is way better than you, Cam Reddish, um, I can imagine that that was causing some difficulties. And so if that guy has those aspirations for himself, it's not going to jive with the type of team that they built. I don't know what he thinks he's going to get in New York playing for Tibbs. Um, He might be in for a rude awakening. But, yeah, and you notice they took off as soon as they traded him. Right. Um, that, you know, from what I understand, there was just a little a certain level of toxicity that all parties involved was just like, look, we're good, man. We don't need to do this anymore. And and so they got rid of him. I, you know, I'm curious to see how Tibbs sort of handles him. And again, like this is a dude who thinks his next extension should be, you know, for the baby Max. Um, I'll, I'll be watching that. Trust me. <laughs> I so you're putting him in a weird spot of having to, you know, defend Cam Reddish, who's not a not a player I've I've ever been a particular fan of. In that it is, it's I think it's a little pat to say like, you know, well they took off, but I think they've more taken off because like the guys they their their best defenders are actually healthy. Now. Yeah, facts. so like like Capella, Kongu, and Hunter are on the floor. I think I have, have have probably a lot more to do with 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 them playing better. For sure, than, absolutely. But no, I, I. But you're also right. Like that sort of getting that sort of, you know, that that cloud, that dark cloud of the locker room. And you know, for the most part, players don't begrudge other players like wanting to get the bag. But doesn't mean that you want to be around them every day when when a guy is like steaming over that. And then you know, I, I thought this season was going to be interesting because, like, once you have Trey Young, you're going to be able to score right on teams. But at the same time, like you, I, I wonder how willing guys are to do the floor burn defense stuff when a dude is so heliocentric, right? Like you wonder about that, where like it doesn't feel always that everybody's sharing in the success of the offense because Trey is so dominant of the ball. And guess what? Like the proof is in the pudding. Like they're a top five offense, you know, just for the fact that they have Trey Young doing that, all of that. But, yeah, Okongu coming back, he he just brings a level of intensity and plays with, like, a certain level of aggression and force that they were just missing down there. And he's just so freaking good, man, already yeah, on I'm... defense. And that, that's been a great plus. And I, I'm telling you, I'm telling y'all, man, watch out for the Hawks in the playoffs. Okongu might guard Giannis better than anyone in the league already. And he's a second-year player, yeah. you know? Um, and, and what I like about their big-man rotation, too, is that 
first of all, I think Okongu's coming for Clint Capella's job. That's a one. And two, like the versatility of mixing and matching Collins, Okongu, and Clint Capella, depending on the matchup, depending on what they need. I love that versatility in the front. Right? Like, I, I, I just love... I love what they got. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop bragging on the Hawks because I don't want to jinx the great run that they've been on. Yeah, yeah. no, I it, it, like I, I love the point you made about like the like the floor burns and stuff because there are teams that have a guy who's like very central who do that, but it's 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 dicey. Like I kind of I you know it's it's a comparison that I hate making every time because I think fans of at least one team are tired of it, but it kind of feels like the Mavs are with Luca a little bit more than the Hawks are with Trey right times. And they, and, and like, it's, I think it's, it's, there's not really a ton of difference in the style that the two of them play. So it's, it's, it's probably just the little things. It's like the, like the zero, like the occasional zero pass 30 footer. Yep. You know, it's just, you know, We've all played with that guy in pickup. And it's just like, you, oh man, I I defended it and boxed out and got the rebound and threw you the ball and sprinted to the end of the floor, and then I'm going to run back on defense now. I'm like, yeah, you're, we're, we're professional basketball players here, but the shoulders do slump a little bit if that happens a lot, right? 100%. And it's, under, like, it's understandable, right? Like, you hear the cliche all the time, the ball has energy or the ball finds energy. Well, if you ain't getting the ball, it's going to be tough to, to muster some energy, right? Um, and so it, it is something that, that bears mentioning. And, you know, I just think in a playoff series, your attack should be more varied than than that, right? And so guys should be getting reps in the regular season, Anchoring some of their offensive possessions. Yes, even when Trey's in the game, right? Like, theoretically, you're a great shooter, Trey. Like, you should be doing all the off-ball stuff that Steph Curry does. And I get it. That's why Steph Curry's special, right? Because he does do all of these little things that make his teammates' jobs easier. And they do feel a part of what they're doing on offense. It isn't just this, you know, the Steph and, and, and the Pips, Right. So like, I don't know, and and you and again, I hate talking shit about coaches, but you wonder if Nate McMillan is the guy that's gonna drive a more varied offensive approach. You know, who knows? Yeah, and it's and it's and then it's it's sort of when a when a franchise decides, okay, this is the guy. So early, like, how much how much can the coach actually do there? Right, like in terms of of those. Of that kind of stuff. If you know, it's it, I, I talked last week with, with uh, Schmidt Dua uh, about the Pelicans and and how they like. Well, Zion's the guy, so kind of what whatever goes. Um, and it's like that, that that's a pretty big gamble because not just on on like a, a health or a guy being good, but just like the guy being you know the 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 you know it, it, not to make this comparison because it's always easy to do it, but the the good fortune that San Antonio had for their guy to be Tim Duncan, 
who is just like, yep, yep, coach, yep, what do we need? Yep, as opposed to a guy who was um, going to be more assertive about everything. Or a guy who is always out of shape. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, we, uh, yeah, we... We 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 beat up on we we beat up on Zion a little bit last week. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to chat and make one comment on that you talk about yeah, like, sure. with Nate being the guy like to figure out some of that stuff. Like, I was really intrigued by the Simmons to Atlanta like rumors because I think Trey and Simmons like in theory could be like incredible, but I just don't think that like Nate and like some of the other pieces there are really the right fit to like maximize that fit. But yeah, and I appreciate you guys taking the call and just kind of sharing some thoughts on the Hawks. Yeah. No, we, I, we, I think we talked to, I, we have talked about this before, but like Simmons is an, is a, is a weird, is an interesting player. He's an unusual player. And to get the most out of that, you do need to have a offensively creative coach. And Nate McMillan does a lot of really good things as a coach, but that ain't, you know, that, yeah, that ain't it. It's like, you know, the, 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 like the comparison is, is like, you know, uh, Dave Dufour calls Jared Vanderbilt B-list Ben Simmons. And and see what Chris Chris Finch has done to make him a viable offensive player in Minnesota is is sort of like the, the the contrast. And that's you know not every coach is good at everything, and it just kind of happens that Atlanta probably doesn't have the right coach for Simmons to make a ton of sense with their current. Even though like even though on paper that should be amazing, it, it you know. yeah. See that you know, and I've. I've said a lot of things about Ben Simmons. I'm just generally just more down on him than most, I feel like. And I think to my, I'm like, like, <laughs> how is Ben Simmons going to materially do more, specifically on offense, than what John Collins already does right now? Because he's not going to have the ball. So... It's the other What's end. he gonna it's, do? It's the, it's the other end. That's the that's the uh, fair, you know. And also, you know, being like a guy who, if if they could, and this is where kind of having Capella is kind of a, kind of an anchor maybe hurts a little because you can't you can't just you know run endless you know spread pick and rolls with Trey and Simmons, which I think you, you like you do that in foot shooting around it. Like that's still a pretty good offense, but yep. yeah. So I think, yeah. No, it's it. it I, I see your point, but it's not. I mean, I think yeah, it's been like with for the Hawks, like John Collins probably gives them more offensively. But but you know, for as hard as John Collins works on defense, and he does work hard, he's like Ben Simmons is a substantially more versatile and just straight up better defender. Yeah. Um, um, all right. Th- uh, thanks a lot, Cody, for 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 taking us on a on a on a detour down south. Um, you want you want to talk Lakers or Nets next? Um, we could do the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm almost. I'm kind of almost bored of talking about the Lakers. I'm not going to lie. It's just. It's, it's just so bad. Yeah. It's just so it's so hard to watch. Like, and it's not like they don't play with any effort or like they're this lazy team. But it's just just <laughs> trying to make this rusting work, where he's literally just like, I'm going to I'm going to stubbornly 
do the only things that I've ever done on a basketball court and try to do that here, even though I'm clearly a diminished player. And so I can't even – like, it's not like – these things that Russ was great at transition or whatever, like the, these things, like it's not like he wasn't great at them, but it's not like those things bore like an insane amount of fruit when it comes to team success, right? <laughs> so like your thing wasn't even that great. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now that you're doing it at a way more diminished level, it's just, it's tough, man. It's tough. And, like, I just thought that he would have better synergy with AD on pick and roll. And then, you know, they've gotten better as the season has progressed, but it just hasn't worked in the ways that I thought it would. And part of it, of course, is that AD can't shoot anymore, although that's trended um, a little bit upward in recent days and weeks, but like, because AD's not making his jump shot, it makes their pick and roll tandem. Like, all right, we know where both of y'all are trying to go. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it's, it's tough, man. It's really tough. I I'm just like that. It was a, it was a Sunday against the Knicks. It was Saturday against the Knicks where, like Russ had the ball, like was dribbling the corner, and and the crowd, like no one's guarding him, and the the whole Lakers crowd is just no, and he shoots it anyway. It's like I, it's a sound I haven't heard an, an NBA crowd make <laughs> since like since like the first time Michael Kidd Gilchrist like walked oh. on a floor and, and he rose up for his jumper the first the first time, and everyone in the crowd was oh my god, is that that kind of horror in in the, that or like. Uh, Ron Artest shooting in the uh, was it the 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 2010 finals? <laughs> those were like the you know it, it, like those are like those those the only thing I can compare that to, and it's just that's that's yeah. Um, I don't know they, yeah. That's enough about the Lakers. I'm 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 bored of them. To be honest. Yeah, it's just not fun. I, like that's the thing. I thought it would be a little bit more fun. I thought they would because <laughs> like. LeBron's teams usually were like low possession teams. Um, but last year, but last year, the last two years with the AC group and Kenny and Kuzma, like they ran AD incredible transition. I'm like, oh, all right, well, at least they're going to run. But like because they've been so bad at defense. They've had to play so much in the half court, and it's like, woof. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, we can move on from them. Yeah, no. It, it's funny you mentioned that, though, because those are, like, the first two LeBron teams that, like, played it. Like, that. most of his teams for his career have been in, like, the 20s in pace. Aside from, like, his, I think, the one of the first two years in Miami where they were, like, the flying death machine. But other than that, it's like his teams play – you know, for as as ridiculous a transition threat as LeBron is, his teams don't actually do it that much. Um, yeah, let's so let's you know, there's the other the other LA and 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 uh, New York teams. Like they've had, I don't disappointing seasons, but like they're not quite the train wreck. I don't think. Like that's, I feel like like the the consensus on Brooklyn is way low right now, way low. 
just like you, you know what their problem is right now is Kevin Durant isn't playing. Like, right. They have other problems, but I think that that one thing is fixed, and you know, put the best player on the planet back on the floor, and good things will happen. Is <laughs> is I mean, and that's simplistic, but I think that's kind of where we are for a team that is always going to be top heavy if the top isn't actually there. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Kyrie being the crazy blonde girlfriend <laughs> is tough. You know, like is it, he's just tough, man. Like it's just tough, and you know, I'm of two minds with the Harden thing. It's like Harden, like really, you're you're like bitching again about teammates again, right? Like, I, I, like we're doing this again. Like, but he's not wrong. Out- you bitched out Dwight Howard. You bitched out Chris Paul. Obviously, the Russ thing was a disaster. You demanded a trade because you wanted to be with these dudes, and you're doing it again? But then it's just like, bro, get the fucking jab. You know what I mean? Like, I, so I, 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 I understand Harden's fr- frustration when a dude is basically playing part-time. Right. And the whole thing about like sports and, and like these team, these team sports is like, yo, collectively, we're trying to get this thing accomplished. And the idea is that we're all doing everything we can for us to reach our common goals. And a dude with vaccine hesitancy, you know, um, I understand the frustration. Um, and, and, and I think that's the, that's the big thing. It's like, it's not just, it's not just that he's not on the court. It's it's just the awkwardness that his 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 employment status brings can't be like conducive to <laughs> like a functioning like chemistry. Like that can't be a good thing when one guy is so far outside of what you guys are trying to do. Like it's just that can't be a good thing, but you know, you hear reports that him and KD are as tight as ever. So maybe I, maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> so I, I mean, that's a, I mean, just hearing you describe it that way, it makes me wonder. You know, at the start of the year, I was like, okay, the best thing for the Nets would be if, if you know, if, if Kyrie got vaccinated and they're all available. The second best thing would be him just never being around, and by far the worst thing would be him only playing road games. And maybe they, you know, I think we saw the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the months of November and December and early January, like COVID tore through the league. And, you know, I've written about that. Everyone's talked about it and maybe, and they had a couple injuries and maybe they, I don't want to say they panicked, but they misreacted and say, oh, we need this guy back now. And now, like you say, it's, we're getting into this awkwardness. Is, Is he here? Is he not? We're talking about this again today, you know, all of that stuff that just kind of gets in the way of, okay, we got our guys and we're going to try to figure out how to win tonight. I, I feel like that's, that's, you know, been a little bit of a drag. And I, you know, I'm, I'm also contradicting myself because when it was announced that Kyrie came back, I was like, well, you know, their defense is going to get worse because opponents are just going to start making shots because they hadn't at any point this season. And so that's sort of something in, completely independent of Kyrie. Like the ball's gone in the basket a lot more for their opponents. So that's like combine that with KD being out and, you know, there you go. Um, but that's, but at the same time, it does, 
feel like from a we're going to bring this together and and we're going to we're going to, as you say, all be pulled in the same direction. It does feel like that that is sort of frayed a little bit. Yeah, and then you have, you know, our great new black mayor in New York, Eric Adams. Um, they asked him at the game if, like, is New York is New York City going to change the, like, the work vaccine joint? And he was like, nah, we're not switching it up. So, like... Because, like, my thought would be just, like, that we would, you know, we would get to a point with the pandemic and stuff where it's just like, you know what? We don't give a shit about this one fucking guy not getting vaccinated. It's fine. Um, And we'll get over it. And I was like, eventually the dude's going to be allowed to play, be a full participant. But it seems like that's not going to be. I I think that's still true. I just think that for any number of other reasons outside the scope of this podcast, we aren't there. So, yeah. you know, like I think... And also, Seth, is, and, I, and I never get tired of saying this, Kyrie's barely ever available physically. Like, three out of the last six postseasons, he didn't finish the postseason with his team. I would say four out of the six. Cause the so year, there the you year go. that we beat Vasa, it's a... You didn't really finish that either. Well, (laughs) (laughs) he was completely horrible in that series for sure. Oh, man. There's one game in that series where he was like, no, I got Giannis. And I just, the look on, I forget whose face when he said, like, because I was, was, you know, I I used to, I would stand pretty close to the court and it was just like, (laughs) just the look of just like this motherfucker on the guy's face was incredible it's like yeah no he's not coming back is he um but yeah no no but your 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 point is well made that that you know it's it's in the best of times he's he's not a that first that first year that lebron took cleveland to the finals he didn't play in the finals um that was in his defense like like he broke his kneecap that's that's no i'm just saying like he physically gets hurt a lot yeah Yep. You know, like, that first year he didn't play. The first year with Boston, he ended up getting hurt. But that, that year that everything was kumbaya and they started 50 and 10 and all of this stuff, like, he didn't finish that one. Man, I um, forgot they started did, that well. Didn't finish, didn't finish last year with Brooklyn. Like, he's barely available in the best of times, right? And now, you you know, you add this and it's just compounding. But, of course, like... You know, if if something if if by some miracle the Nets can have all of their their best guys, they're the best team in the league. You know, if that's ever the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I mean, not having Joe Harris hurts them a fair amount. But I but I at the start of the season I thought that if they had KD in one of the other two, they're still like right there. And that and and just the question is whether they have, you know, a fully functional second guy at any sort of point headed towards the, the postseason this year. And then, then you know, of course, you get in the, you, just the weirdness of, of, like, like you say, Harden kind of, kind of sort of making eyes at, I don't know, <laughs> Philadelphia. <laughs> I, I, I had forgotten about this, but this is, this is sort of an interesting, like, tampering wrinkle. He doesn't have an agent. So, so, oh, okay. So, so, so that, that makes the tampering like 
you know, sorry, there's never any tampering. Just right, you know, right, right. You know, so, no, but there was you never know, you any don't have an agent, James Harden. Yeah, and people are leaking stuff that Philly's people have heard that you are not opposed to the idea of being over there. Who the hell could who could have provided this information besides James Harden or somebody who's really close to it? It's like it's so crazy. Um, but you know, just the idea that you'd rather play in Philly than in Brooklyn with KD seems preposterous to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yes, but also you could look and say, like, depending on what the move would be, you look at that. Okay, if if like again, this is this is probably more detailed than it's being looked at. But like, all right. Ben Simmons isn't playing right now, so basically you trade Ben Simmons for James Harden and you add James Harden to what they have on the floor. And then you look at what Brooklyn has on the floor and you're like, I I I I don't you don't have to, you know, that's not hard to 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 envision thinking that, you know, okay, well we've got, you know, we got Thibel, we got we got, you know, Tobias Harris is still pretty good. We got, you know, Seth Curry, who's a great shooter, who be a good person to play off us. We got Tyrese Maxey, who's, you know, another dynamic, like, driver. And, of course, you know, the guy who's, you know, top two or three MVP right now this year. Yeah. Like, like, it's not that hard to, to, to envision that as a, as a, you know, as a really strong contender. Now, like go back and forth about how well Harden and Embiid would actually fit together. But, you know, it, it, it. also, if I'm Brooklyn, why the hell am I trading James Harden for, for way worse players straight up? Well, you, you, that's the thing is it's, it's like, it, I don't probably, <laughs> it's probably isn't straight up, but like how much more is it? And it's, you know, also, you know, the, <laughs> the, the 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 other interesting part about this, and this is this is generally not how teams think, but uh, there's also like, who in our con- in our conference can we trade James Harden to, where he's going to be getting paid fifty million dollars when he's thirty six? It's kind of you know that's that, that's sort of a like lob that grenade out there because so you know, and that's another thing too that I talked about earlier with um. My, my podcast partners, Rob Mahoney and um, Justin Verrier, I'm like, is James Harden still the type of cat that I want to give that no. level of money to? No. <laughs> I don't think so. And Maybe for three years, not, not for five. He's not the LeBron, Steph, Chris Paul, like people who are obsessed about their – What are you saying? <laughs> people who are obsessed about taking care of their body. And so I don't know how you could think that James Harden, his body is even going to hold up, you know, after all of that. Like, it just seems like that, like he's not the type of dude I want to entrust with that. And I don't know. It just feels like it's a given right now that somebody's going to give up the farm you know, pay the piper to, to bring them in. And that seems like that should, that doesn't seem like something that's you should obviously be doing. So, I mean, I think, and, and so just thinking of it that way, like, you know, I could, you know, if you had assurances about like, you know, the Simmons like headspace and conditioning and willingness to play and all that, um, 
it's you know okay are we a little worse this year yeah probably um going forward are we substantially better that way than we would be giving harden you know 230 million over or whatever it would be over over five over the five years that he's going to want like that's i don't like i it's not hard for me to make the argument that like over the next you know three years like door number two is 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 more is better for brooklyn i mean that's obviously that's assuming you know these things these discussions are always are just hard because like we didn't like all right, we don't we don't really know like where Harden's head's at. We really don't know where Simmons' head's at. We don't really know where either either their bodies are at. So it's it's like we're kind of we're we're kind of throwing darts a little bit. But just looking at it, like I can construct that scenario. Yeah, and you know, and I think Brooklyn is a good spot for Ben because nothing will be expected of him that he's not already good at. You know, like the, the and, and no one's paying attention anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the the he can do his great transition stuff. He can, he can anchor units when when KD is out the game. You know, um, he's gonna be he can be the great defender that he is. And like you know, if the superstars that you play next to are Kyrie and KD that opens up the floor for you, right? Like, in a way that Joel, who, you know, he was he t- took his game to the three-point line to accommodate this guy's specific skill set. You know what I mean? Like, but Joel is best when he's closer to the rim. You know, KD and Kyrie, they don't allow for those problems, right? So things that Ben already excels at, he'll be able to do over there. Which is good for him. You know, like, I think Philly in the playoffs last year, they needed a freaking wing <laughs> who could create and operate, and they just didn't have that guy. Like, and, you know, Ben is just not like, all right, here's the rock. Figure it out. He's just, he's just never showed himself to be that person. And Philly needed him to be that. Um, and he won't have to be that in Brooklyn. So, yeah, it'll be a nice deal for him, for sure. Yeah, uh, Nick, uh, Nick, you've been waiting patiently. Uh, what, what's on your mind? Hey, guys, how's it going? Hopefully it's not too loud. I'm currently in the West Village of Manhattan. So uh, apologies if it's loud around me. Um, just kind of a, a question about looking at this really weird Brooklyn situation that could simultaneously – uh, they could win the title and no one would be surprised where you can see things going off the rails for a million different reasons. And I'm just wondering if you're one of these other teams that maybe is on an upward trajectory and hasn't really put ships in the middle of the table yet. Do you like kind of just with how uninspiring a lot of the potentially like the, the trade deadline is looking right now, do you wait to see if like if Harden leaves or if Kyrie like God knows what happens? Do you, wait to see if, like, the Brooklyn situation becomes sufficiently untenable to make a move for someone like Durant? Or is that, like, a little too, like, three-dimensional chess nonsense? To me, I I feel like you got to be in it to win it. Meaning, like, if you have a chance, if you think you're close and you have a chance to upgrade your roster, I think last year's playoff show, like, should have been a lesson to every team who's close 
that like you gotta go. You know, like this idea that is like, oh, we're being patient, we're being this, like, bro, KD could go down. You know, James Harden could go down. Uh, uh, Kyrie Irving could go down. Um, Kawhi Leonard could go down. Like, the, like, and you can be in the driver's seat of your own destiny after that. But you have to be in position to take advantage of some, you know, misfortune for other teams, but fortunes for you. And so, to me, I look at the Brooklyn situation and I think opposite. It's like, yo, we can take those dudes. And we should be trying to get some guys in here that are going to help us do that rather than be like, well, let's let that flame out and then make our moves. Like, no, nah, I think I I think I, li- I would like my chances now, you know, to beat those guys because of the dysfunction that we've talked about. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, Daryl Morey described it as, as like the 5% rule. If you have a 5% chance to win yes. the title this year, you go for it. My, no, my question is, aside from Milwaukee and Miami, who is that in the East? I, I mean, I guess it's Philly, but like Philly's move to go all go kind of go quote all in is is uh, pretty is is a lot more complicated than for most. Yeah, uh, for you know for reasons that have been discussed um, for at length for the last you know six plus months. So no, I agree with you. It's just I'm one like you know I didn't love the move that Cleveland made for Karis LeVert yesterday, and that's more. Like, I'm I, not a Levert guy. Yeah, I like he's he's been a guy who I've been really high on in the past, and it just hasn't happened. And I just if like, if your one thing is scoring and you do it inefficiently, I, I don't like that's your thing. Your thing is that you score allegedly, <laughs> and you don't do it in an efficient manner. So I don't know what I don't understand because like on the internet, people love Karis Levert, you know. Um, because like I was talking to some to some Cleveland fans and they were like we would much rather Karis Levert than Eric Gordon and I was like how like why you know um I I don't understand that move either but yeah continue on no I, I mean it's, it's sort of it, it's a little bit right right kind of move for the wrong guy but I think I think part of it is like Levert has had some really interesting cameos in like playoff series where his team was yeah. was you know I was actually looking at this in like uh, uh, 2020 last time they were in the playoffs like he had a couple of like he had a couple of like like 12 and 15 assist games and that's almost yeah. it's not just like his his best attribute isn't isn't scoring it's it's penetrating but if he's doing that just to score it's one thing but if he's doing that and like getting everyone getting everyone going like then that's you know you when you've got finishers like Jared Allen and and Eric Mobley and and or if if Kevin Love's in the game because he's you know turned into a flamethrower this year then that's 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 an interesting kind of synergy there but it's that's that's the part of his game that you know along with the shooting hasn't really you know hasn't really developed this interesting I, we got when I had uh, when I had uh, Caitlin Cooper on uh, a couple weeks ago we we're, we're, t- were talking about like he loves to drive left, but he can't pass with his left hand. So that's a tough. That's a tough combo for like, that, like you know, if he's got, he, like, he want every like he can roll the left side. And he wants to reject drive left, but then he's got to lean back across his body to make a play. And that's just like, yeah, it's just you know, the, the, there are probably players who could have made that work, but he's not one of them. Yeah, and you know, and I get it when. 
you're so reliant upon Garland to do everything for you yes. as far as initiation and shot creation and all of that. Like, that's a huge burden to put on a guy that young who's just, you know, just now turning into a killer. Uh, so I understand. I understood the need. Um, I just, uh, yeah, like you said, I just, I just didn't understand, you know, doing it for that guy. Yeah, and this, and, and really, like, you know, as 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 good a story as the Cavs have been, we kind of, it's generally speaking, like your first trip through the playoffs for this, it's gonna be, like, it, it it's gonna be the the playoffs this year are gonna be a little rude for Garland and, and Eric Mobley. I think we can, you know, I, I feel reasonably confident in saying that because that's kind of how it works. So, like. You know, in in their case, like using those same kind of things they did to to now, obviously you don't have the Rubio expiring contract, but like the draft picks and stuff, you probably make your team better for next year at the draft than you do now with getting Levert. So that's 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 why I didn't like it. But but other but you know other than that, like I, the point I was making is like which team is 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 close enough to make that move? Are the as good a story as the Bulls have been, and we, you know, we hope they get healthy. Do we really trust a team with Nick Vucevic at center to be able to defend in the playoffs? Uh, I sure as hell don't. <laughs> um, and you know, like he, he's making as so much that it's like, you, how do you justify bringing in another real center if? You know, you're paying Vucevic to be your starter, right? So it's like they've fought, they've kind of committed to that nucleus. But, you know, again, <laughs> the right matchup, they might right. be able to get some things done. But they do – they need to figure out how to be beefier in the middle because Vucevic and pick-and-roll defense – and just like the most important possessions of the game, and you're counting on that guy moving his feet and giving great, you know, verticality contests at the cup. Woof. Yeah. No, and and you know maybe and and early in the year that wasn't as much of a problem for them because you know you have you have Ball and Caruso at the point of attack and you just you're you're in that situation less. But I think that I think that you that that. In the playoffs, you, that you can probably, as an offensive team, kind of you can figure you can figure out how yeah. you, how you put Demar Derozan and who I love, by the way, love 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 Demar. I love his game. I love his character. He's one of my favorite guys in the league. I love him. But you put him and Vucevic in pick and roll defense over and over. <laughs> That's tough. That's gonna be tough for the Bulls. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I, I, I but that's it's a good question, Nick. And I think that I think that from a conceptual standpoint, you're absolutely right. It's just the kind of the spot where various teams are this year. I mean, maybe maybe Boston's that team that that should do that. Like, yeah, like, I, I was actually thinking about like the Boston's and the Memphises of the world, like where you see like they have things they can do, but like just there's no very obvious like thing that you really feel like would move the needle or that like you trust would get them where they need to go. And it's just like, it's a really weird trade deadline uh, in that respect, especially considering how many of the other contenders have already like traded a million picks away already or, and it's just really bizarre. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's um, it, it's just like on Memphis. I think if you're a team in the West, like you're not really worried about Brooklyn. Just like if you get to the finals and Brooklyn's there, great, we're in the finals and we're playing Brooklyn. Like you know, you're if you're in the West, you're more worried about like, all right, do we have enough guys to guard the Suns? Do we like that's that's where you're you know do we have do we have people to guard the Suns and Warriors? That's where you're you're thinking if you're like any other team in the West that thinks they have a have a chance because that's you're gonna have to go through one or both of them. So I think that you know you're 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 not you know. If you can guard, if you can guard those teams, you probably have someone who can at least like wave at KD. <laughs> so you know, deal with that problem in the finals when you get there. I, Memphis is a really interesting team at the trade deadline, though. I think. Yeah, especially when you know, whenever your team is a little bit ahead of schedule, you know, and your guys are young, you wonder. It's like, all right, should we just ride this out and stay on our trajectory, or? Do we, you know, basically bump our timeline up and get some guys in here because we think we could make a serious run in the postseason? Um, I don't know. I feel like my instinct, if I was them, would be to just ride it out. Like, I don't need to bring in some crazy contract, veteran contract. Like, I like the synergy of my guys. I love I just love the effort level that Memphis plays with. Like these guys play hard every single night, which you know, it sounds so pat to say, but it's <laughs> you can't say that about every NBA team. Like these Tremendous guys vibes. Yes, 100%. And, like, and and it's cool what they got going on. Like yeah. Um no, I actually I think I disagree with you there to be honest. I think their timeline, like the fact that Jaws a top 10 or thereabouts player in the NBA already. And Desmond Bain is like, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too reckless talking about, this, <laughs> but, but, but like, you know, you, but it's, let's just say there are players starting an all-star game that I think he's had a better season than. Right. <laughs> so, um, so, but I think that, like, is, like they have accelerated their own timeline by the fact that their backcourt is so good, and they have, you know, they have a you know just a really good cast around them. Like they were already going to be a team that kind of like checked the no bad minutes box, aside from you know the developmental. Like they're they're choosing to give Desire Williams, like they 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 can they can go ten eleven deep with quality NBA players. Uh, but now they also like added that top end just by you know internal improvement, like they're they're right there, and they and it's and all the, additionally like it's not their first time through like they have guys who've kind of realized okay they're going to adjust so I need some other stuff in my game, like you know, Ja has been there like he he got he had the Jazz game planning form for a whole series last year like you, you know. So they're they're just they have that that even that one step up on 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 the Cavs of just like and it, this is something that like having having experienced it like you just you, there's nothing that can really prepare you first of all for like how different the like playoff prep is than regular season and then just also the difference between how much the it ratchets up kind of as you go through the playoffs and so like there's a reason why it kind of got to get this like step stepwise like playoff improvement is you kind of that that failure does teach you something 
100%, but also, you know, <laughs> and you know this, Seth, GMs, they like have they like doing the young team thing because you get graded on a curve. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, why accelerate my, uh, you know, basically how harshly I'll be judged as far as what the results should be when, you know, everything that this group is doing is found money. You feel me? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> who knows? But that would be great if Memphis did that. If Memphis did something like, all right, let's, you know, let's let's try to get Eric Gordon in there. Or, you know, maybe we get into the Jeremy Grant um, sweepstakes. Yeah. You know, like, that would be amazing <laughs> if they did that. I mean, I, 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 had, I had Nate on last week, and, and we uh, – I – why, if you're if you're gonna want to trade for for Jeremy Grant, why not just trade for Harrison Barnes, who is, I think, for many if not most teams would probably give you just as much if not more, and probably is available for less. Yeah, and 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 doesn't and doesn't think that he's like Kobe, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, I need to I need to be on a team where I get the rock, and I you know like I'm not trying to be an ancillary part. Like, okay, bro. Uh, are you are, well? Like that's cool. Like I don't. You know, <laughs> yes. No. It's, no. You don't grudge like, people for wanting to get paper because, like, you know, you get paid for scoring, right? Like it's obvious why guys care about it. Yeah. Um. I just think he'd be like, if he really cared about like making himself really attracted to teams, he'd be like, all right, I'm I'm gonna be Mikael Bridges. Right, like I'm going to be a high quality role player, you know, an elite role player. Um, but you know, you don't get the cheerleaders for for great defensive rotations. You feel me? <laughs> <laughs> only only on, on certain corners of uh, NBA Twitter. Do you get that. But, yeah, no, and it's you know you you, you never know what the, there's all kinds of different motivations that that guys can have. Like they're all playing hard, and and you know, but but. You know, whether the judgment of whether I want to get paid as much money or the the best chance of winning the title or you know vibes of playing with friends or whatever, like those are all legitimate. What what city I want to live in? These are all legitimate choices, and it's you know, it's 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 good that players have those kind of the the way to influence those, and so it's in in like judging from that from the outside is kind of harsh. Like you don't. Like, yes, would we as fans like it if Jeremy Grant was like, you know what? I could be just the the, the best. Like, if I wanted to be, I could be Eric Gordon. And the team that I was Eric Gordon on, which is ironically the, the team I was Eric Gordon on before Eric Gordon. Um, you know, I, sorry, Aaron Gordon. Um, you know, like we as fans want that. But, you know, he did that for six years. You know, and so yeah, like I can understand wanting to be something more than that, if if for no other reason than to prove you can to yourself. And then obviously, like the money comes with it is nice too. Money is nice. Yeah, that, that <laughs> that's the takeaway here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it's not the only thing, but it's you know all like everything else being equal, like having money is better than yeah not. Um. I two, one or two more things, and I'll and I'll get you out of here because you. I usually try try to make these about an hour, and we've gone over that already. But 
which would you rather talk about between like the we we, we touched on it kind of the the player the 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 situations where a player team is you know more culturally than basketball relevant or you want to give me a a, a, a title pick which which is which of those is a more interesting topic to you um I'm I'm good with, with with whatever. We can talk about teams that are culturally relevant in ways that don't make sense all the time. Yeah, so that that's you know that that's almost the most interesting part of the Lakers season to me. Is is like rust through that viewpoint. You know, the thing is like Russell Westbrook is a celebrity. You know, like, and that's what I think it is. Like, in a way that AD isn't, in a way that even, like, I don't know, just just name your random, like, legitimate NBA all-star, right? Like, like say, like, Rudy Gobert isn't, you know? Like, Westbrook is, an, is a celebrity, and, like, so he's able to garner a lot of attention. And I think, you know, and then doing that on the Lakers who are, you know, the league's marquee franchise or have been for various years in previous times. Uh, I think that makes for, yeah, like they're going to be conversation starters because people are going to be paying attention to what happens in L.A. And like so much of like Russ's career has been, it's like it's always been this weird like proxy battle about like how you feel about Russ says what kind of NBA consumer you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he's always been in the, like at the center of these convos. And so now that he's on a, like a team and it's looking like a, a train wreck, I think it's garnering a lot of attention because of that. You know, um, first of all, I feel attacked by, <laughs> um, like I'm, I'm, I'm right here. You can add me. Um, no, that's that's a fair point. And like, yes, there, like, there's undoubtedly an aspect of of how this has gone that has a lot of people who may have written chapters and books about you know triple doubles being overvalued, taking some satisfaction from from this. That, that, <laughs> it's entirely possible that's true. But but yeah no I think that is like it's it's the there, are there I mean there's but there's a few different like aspects to it one of it is like the the I mean there's obviously there's like the triple double and like the the like the got his numbers aspect of it. and then there's sort of the the fierceness and the fury that he's always played with which you know. I understand why people respond to that, but it's it's one of those things that's like almost the negative legacy of Jordan is that's like seen to be in and of yeah. itself, like you know, be pretending to be pissed off while hooping is is a thing, and like yeah, I don't have any friends on the court. I I, I just I'll kill anybody on the. I'm a killer, you know. <laughs> It's 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 so like over the top and unnecessary, but you know, people people do respond to it. And look, I feel like I I, I used to I used to definitely be a pro Russ guy, right? Because I'm just like, look, to me, probably the hardest, the most valuable 
skill a hooper can have, in my opinion, is like dribbling past people, right? Like it's basically the most powerful tool you can possess stand there. And Russ was somebody who, you know, like nobody could stay in front of him. And he was a great finisher. Although, like, if you look at his actual stats, like he never really had <laughs> great, like, um, like his his percentage within three feet was never like like LeBron level. Like there was a couple of those years in Miami where LeBron was shooting like 73% in the paint. Like Russ always had this reputation as this great finisher, but was it whatever? But he got there a lot. But he got there a lot, yes. And I'm like, yo, that's valuable, right? Like, that's that's going to puncture defenses, you know, create seams and openings for your teammates. And it's, and it's good. And then the last four games of the 2016 Western Conference Finals happened where Golden State was just like, nah, like, we're going to win this series. It's going to be because Russell Westbrook hands it to us. And I've sort of never been able to look at him as a player the same ever again. And if you if you go look at Russ Russ's stats, like basically the last four games of that series on in the playoffs, he's basically been a pretty freaking terrible playoff player since. You know, but again, he has this outsized reputation and celebrity, and so people pay attention to him. That's right. I mean, it, you know, that that's sort of um, uh, that's kind of the same thing you're describing with those with those Knicks teams with with Anthony with Anthony and Mason on those Knicks teams with you know with Carmelo as he's certainly a, a player who who is stature held longer than than his game did. And now in the last is interesting enough in the last couple of years after he was after like Houston was like no we're good like there was finally kind of the, the adjustment to the new reality of, of kind of, uh, of his level. Like now that as, as one's physical abilities go, cause you know, father time is undefeated. Um, it, it, it's always hard for stars to age gracefully, but he hung on long enough perhaps because of that cachet to get to the point where now he's, you know, he's a solid role player for the Lakers. If they were better, like, I think we'd, we'd be, you know, we'd, we'd be recognizing more that, that he's, he's given them, he's given them all they could have expected and more this year. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing about Russ and, and Melo that I think they're similar to, and I think Kyrie has a lot of this too, is that the players are really enamored of them, right? Like their, their peers think really highly of them. And I think NBA guys, what they respect the most is like anything that they themselves can't do. Yeah. Right. So like people watch all the shit that Kyrie does. He's basically a wizard when it comes to like his handle, his finishing, his shooting and all of that. NBA players see that. They're like, yo, I can't do that. And so they think so highly of him. I think Melo, because he used to be this, you know, hashtag buckets type of guy, right? Like, one-on-one, I'm going to score on people. Like, this is the type of stuff that that players respond to. Like, Russ's athleticism, right? Like, the hops, the speed, you know, the strength. People are just like, yo, this guy's a physical marvel. And so, like, people admire that, his peers. In a way that just, like, to bring up Rudy Gobert again, like, NBA players don't look at Rudy. And again, like, this, Rudy Gobert is an all-star player. 
straight up. He's one of the best players in the league, best bigs, whatever. But, like, NBA players don't look at what Rudy Gobert does, which is just, like, incredible paint defense, setting incredible screens, and rolling hard every single time in such a way that the defense has to respond to that. This, like, incredibly thankless job. NBA players see that shit, they they, they yawn, bro. <laughs> They yawn straight up. And that's why I think people like Russ and Melo get all of this, you know, attention. It's because their peers really do big them up. And Jamal Crawford and DeMar DeRozan. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, 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 I I like the way you put that because it's like, it's, it's sort of like grading on degree of difficulty almost more than, than like level of achievement, which, you know, that, 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 that makes sense. Like who would, this is, this is something, a thought experiment I've tried to put myself through. Like if we weren't keeping score or stats of this game, who would I think was good? And, and how would, how does that compare to who I actually think is good? And what does that mean? And, and I think you end up with, yeah, the, the, you know, that's that probably gets us to why like the guys who get in their bag with the ball have this kind of have this uh this cachet to them that you know someone who played maybe is a simpler but more effective game doesn't really have yeah and you know you see it like (laughs) you see it post game right like or whenever you hear them talking about certain guys it's just this like hilarious thing or like I don't I can't tell you how many dudes like when you ask them like so who's the toughest person to like guard how many NBA point guards have said Russell Westbrook over the years and it's like really like you you really have a harder time guarding him than Steph Curry (laughs) like I think think you sleep well that night I think that's (laughs) I think that's like, and I can understand that. Like you, you, like, you know, you got the full Russ experience. Like you, you were aware that it happened. Right. Yeah. No, you know, I just, it just occurred to me, like kind of the one exception to this, like is all like the, the almost the rule proving exception to this, like the guy, everyone said that guy is great, but it wasn't like, because he did all these fancy things. He was just like really good. was Rasheed Wallace. Right. You remember, you remember how much everyone was talking, just would always talk about how, you know, who's, you know, who's like, we, talk, we don't talk about enough as the elite power forwards is Rashid, And, and that, but he was like the guy who was just like, like doing all the little things and making the right defensive rotations. And, but and also, but also would dunk on your head. Yeah. Right. So it's like, he, he would dunk on you and he could shoot threes. Like he had such a, he was such a unique player back then too. In the way that like, you know, we talk about three and D guards, like wings or whatever. Rashid was a three and D center before that was a thing. Like he was, you know, spacing you out and also giving you elite rim protection but that's not why players love them. It was literally like, yo, he dunks on people and shoots threes. <laughs> and, and and yells ball don't lie, which, you know, yeah, exactly. which, you know I, it, 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 there's no better reason to, you know, love a player than, than that because, you know, it's true. Um, no, the ball lies all the time. 
it's it's it's, it's something we, it's, it's one of those things we wish was true rather than one of those <laughs> things that's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On on that note, uh, give me your give me your title pick this year in two minutes, and then and then we'll get out of here. Thanks a lot for thanks a lot for coming on. It's uh, great. To, we haven't we haven't chatted in a while, so this was this was good just to catch up. If nothing, of else. course, super fun. Um, man, I really think the Bucks are going to win the championship again. I think if when all three of their guys are healthy, to me, Giannis has such an understanding of what he needs to do to be the most effective version of himself. And it's not doing a KD impersonation. It's finishing possessions and not initiating them. And like going through the playoffs and, you know, basically getting the answers to those tests. I just, to me, man, like that's a problem for anybody who's playing the Bucks this year in the postseason. And so to me, I think the Bucks are going to win the championship. It's a, I, I think it's going to be a rematch. I've, I've said for about a month now, I think it's going to be a rematch, but I think the Suns are going to win it this year. Wow. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that the the Bucks are a guy or two short, and I think the Suns are just, have, are, are just better in a lot of little ways than they were last year. Not the least of which, like, you know, their guys have been through it again. Like, right. You know, that's, you think about like them, them reaching the finals last year was, you know, Chris Paul aside, there was very little playoff experience on that roster. And, and so that's like, you know, that's a big step for Devin Booker and for, for Mikhail Bridges and for Cam Johnson and for campaign and for Deandre Ayton. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of, after the first two games of the finals, you kind of saw that a little, I feel like from guys like Ayton and Bridges, like, Oh boy, these guys are on our level. What do we do now? Right. Just having and just having been through that. So maybe but I think it would be I think it would be a heck of a series. I I would I would like to see seven games of it again. Yeah, I think I think that's what we're gonna get. Um Golden State is is obviously super good, but the Draymond injuries, did you're in disc stuff like they're not winning no championship without Draymond Green being at the peak of his powers so you know I'm worried about the Draymond thing so yeah I tend to agree with you I think Phoenix is gonna come out the west I just I just can't bet against Giannis locked in Giannis I just can't no I think that I mean I think that's reasonable I just I like you know this is uh Nate 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 Duncan brought this up like you know well they're worried about Draymond like are the Bucks winning a championship if they don't have, you know, at least pretty good version of Brooke Lopez? Like, what happens if if with the, if he's like limited and they run up against Philadelphia? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a problem. Uh, but but again, you know, I I I really think in Giannis we trust. Yeah, that's fair. If I got to play Giannis as center. If I got to send help against Joel, then so be it. I just really think, like, he just presents so many problems for these guys. And, you know, the Bucks have finally figured out what they want to do on that end of the court. And I I, I have, look, man, you give me Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton, I, I'm, I'm taking my chance that I'm going to guard people reasonably well, um, no matter who the opponent is. So, yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about that. 
No, I, 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 you're not the only person who thinks that, and I, uh, I, I can see why. Um, it's funny. Like last note, it's like the the the, the difference between some of these, like when some of these teams have scuffled this year. Like I, you know, I living in Milwaukee, like the, there's been some pretty ugly stretches for the Bucks this year, and the level of worry was, you know, 0.5 out of 10. Like yeah, you know our guys will be back. We'll be fine. We're good. We won a title last year. We know what we're doing, and it's just it's just amazing like what that that knowledge can kind of do. And you, you can even sense it from the team. It's just like yeah, this is these games are dumb. We don't have our guys yet. Whatever, we'll get our guys. We'll be good again. And now they are, which is fine when the Bucks do it. When when the Hawks were talking that job early this season, I was so pissed off. Well, there's there's a, there's a difference between having you know. You know, we we need we know we're good enough to win a championship, so let's just get back there. Versus, hey, we think we're maybe good enough to get back to the conference finals again. <laughs> this is it's a different it's a different thing. It's a different level of, like you know, when when Shaq would play his way into shape every year, it's like yeah, Shaq can do that, right? But, <laughs> but like some other guy who is who's like topped out of the second round. Oliver Miller should not be playing his way into <laughs> shape every single year. Oh, shouts to Oliver Miller. He'd, he'd have been a good player in today's game. Uh, yeah, in, in better shape, but man, he was good. Anyway, let's 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 end on Oliver Miller. <laughs> Love, appreciate you having me on, my <laughs> yeah, boy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. You got anything to pitch before we get out of here? Um, nah, just check the check us out on the Ringer NBA show. You know, every single Wednesday we do group chat. Me, Justin Verrier, and Rob Mahoney, and then of course I'm doing. Weekends with Waz now. That's every Sunday afternoon. It's just an interview joint. We usually get a guest. Oh, uh, I've basically just been calling my homies um, and, and, and chatting show. and chatting with them. And so, you know, obviously we're gonna have you on eventually, Seth. But yeah, check that out. All of those on the Ringers YouTube. I mean, the Ringers uh, NBA podcast feed. Um, and check that out. All right, and uh, hey, uh, happy birthday again. And uh, Appreciate you, brother. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming on. Uh, folks, All right, I'm, anytime, bro. Absolutely. Folks, special episode tomorrow. I, we're doing a not-quite-nerder with, uh, with, um, with my, my guy, Mo DeKeel, where we'll be unshackled from Dave Dufour, and we'll, we'll get to hear what we really, uh, hear what we really feel. So uh, join me tomorrow afternoon for that. And uh, thanks a lot for coming out, everybody.